Let's have a look at Jesus in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, the first resurrection story, beginning with verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out, and they went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went, and she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On Tuesday evening of this week, one of my daughters said to me, I don't feel so great. My chest is tight. I don't have any energy, and I'm congested. My eyes got really wide, and I sprang into action. I took her temperature. I put the doctor on speed dial, and I checked the calendar to remember exactly when was the last time she left the house. I don't even have to tell you what I was looking for. You know exactly what I was thinking. But I was wrong. An inhaler and some allergy medicine did the trick. But you know, you know what I was looking for. This coronavirus lens is a very strange way to view the world. My world simply looks different than it did at the beginning of Lent. For me, a global pandemic is a magnifying lens. It multiplies my caution, but also my gratitude. It expands my fear. 
but also my compassion. I'm grateful for you. I pray that you are safe. And I very much look forward to the time when I get to see your face again. Here's what I want to suggest to you about our scripture this morning. Our scripture this morning makes for an excellent lens from which to view the world. We've been in the Gospel of John for all of Lent. The writing is dense, it's poetic, it's highly symbolic. But the style changes in the last few chapters of the Gospel. The sentences become short and direct and commanding. Alexander John Shia says, it is as if John brings his exalted truths that he's been writing about down. He brings these exalted truths down to everyday life. Revelation becomes practical in the last few chapters of the gospel. Now, I don't want to be one to criticize John's writing Lord knows he's put me through the ringer during Lent, trying to figure out exactly what he's saying, sorting through the layers of meaning. But in this resurrection account, there are a couple of action words, a couple of verbs that get overused. To run and to look. Running and seeing. There is more running going on in this story than the whole rest of the gospel Mary runs to Peter and to John, and then Peter and John race to the tomb, and John outruns Peter, but Peter gets there first, or Peter is the first to step into the tomb. And all this running reminds me of the rush of adrenaline I experience when circumstances change. When something I don't quite yet understand is happening, I get a bit frenzied. I shift into overdrive, and I try to make connections and figure things out. And that's what's happening at the tomb, a frantic gathering of information that involves a lot of seeing. And I count eight occurrences of to see or to look in these 18 verses. Mary sees the stone rolled away. John and Peter each separately look into the tomb to see the strips of cloth, Mary looks into the tomb, Mary sees the gardener, and then the gardener says to Mary, what are you looking for? My children, my children have cousins that are several years younger than they are, and sometimes when they come over to my house, the kids all play hide and seek together. It usually happens around me while I'm doing my own thing, while I'm doing something else. A little over a year ago, such a game was going down around me, and I walked into my bathroom to retrieve my dirty laundry. I walked right past the full laundry basket that was out of the cabinet, out of its place, and resting beside the bathtub. I didn't even see it. I opened up the cabinet to find my son all folded up on the middle shelf where a laundry basket should have been. Hey, Mom, what are you looking for? He said. My heart just about jumped out of my chest. On the surface, this is what happens beside the garden tomb. 
When the gardener surprises Mary with the question, what are you looking for? Our hearts skip a beat. But this isn't the first time that Jesus has asked this particular question. This question, these words, are the very first words he speaks in the entire gospel, the first red letters in the gospel of John, chapter 1. John the Baptist has a couple of disciples. One of them is Andrew. And when Jesus walks by these two, they begin to follow him. And Jesus turns around and he asks them, what are you looking for? And then he says to them, come and see. And there's one other time Jesus asks the question, what are you looking for? It's in a garden where Judas brings soldiers to arrest Jesus. Imagine a number of soldiers. One scholar thinks a hundred or so. As they approach the walled garden, Jesus exits to meet them. What are you looking for? He asks. Jesus of Nazareth, they say. And he answers, I am. The identifying statement of the divine in the Bible and the soldiers fall to the ground. When the gardener asks Mary this same question outside of the empty garden tomb, she says while crying a body, can you show me where the body of my Lord has been taken? You see, I'm pretty certain that this question is so important that the gospel wants to ask it to us as well. What are you looking for? Comfort? Relief? The hug of a friend? A set of rules, answers, a framework for living? Success, protection, someone to blame for what is wrong. You see, I genuinely believe that we can come at Jesus with anything. Any genuine search is acceptable. However, a word of caution, we don't get to stay where we start. This is a search after all. And one thing that is true about our rabbi from chapter 1 to chapter 21 of John's gospel, he's a rabbi, a teacher, he's on the go. He won't be trapped, arrested for good, or held on to. He tells Mary, don't hold on to me. Jesus calls us to places where we gain more and more freedom and more and more life. After all, life is the central message of the story of Easter. N.T. Wright, the scholar from our video, wrote, Jesus' exit from the tomb, it's very different from Lazarus's exit just a few chapters earlier in this gospel. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus needs help getting out of his grave clothes. He needs someone to untie him, but Jesus... Jesus just leaves those clothes behind like a deflated balloon when the air goes out. Lazarus goes back into a world where death still matters, but Jesus goes on. Jesus goes on into a new world, a new creation, 
new life that defeats death. The tomb where Mary meets the resurrected Christ is in a garden, and we know this because Mary first thinks he's the gardener. Mary doesn't just make a silly mistake. This gospel writer doesn't do silly. The Messiah is the gardener, making all things new. There are new possibilities here, an eighth day of creation for you and for me. And looking at the world through this lens means that nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. And that all things can be used for good for us. Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a book called An Altar in the World. And in it, she dares to put forth the idea that pain... Pain is a reliable altar in the world, a place where we can meet God and be transformed. She devotes a whole chapter to this topic, and it's titled The Practice of Feeling Pain, a spiritual practice experiencing pain. You probably know that a spiritual bypass is a popular procedure. A lot of people have done it. I suppose it's elective surgery, but it's a popular one to avoid pain, to prevent it, to stop pain altogether, to bypass it. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm not a fan of pain, the physical or the emotional variety. But I have found there is spiritual ground to be gained there. Barbara Brown Taylor defines faith as Trusting that what comes to me is for me, not against me. Trusting that what comes to me in life is for me and not against me. She goes on to say that it's here where idols are broken and isolation and independence are broken. It's true. It's true. In pain, I have seen the Lord. Mary knows pain. It's from this place of pain that she looked through the resurrection lens. When Mary leaves the garden tomb, she goes to the disciples and she says not what she's told to say, but instead to the disciples, she says, I have seen the Lord. I don't know what you're looking for today. I hope that wherever you find yourself, you will get hold of a little more clarity, a little more depth, and that the next time you and I see one another, we can say to each other, I have seen the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you are ruler of the universe. We find ourselves this day physically separate, but spiritually united, eager to follow your direction. Lord, we search for you, and we trust that what comes to us is for us, not against us. Your radiant light shines even in uncertain times. So we ask this morning that you would care for those who suffer that you would care for those whose health is compromised. And we ask a special blessing upon all those who serve, 
all those who look pain in the face. We are at times overwhelmed and afraid. Would you give us the courage to trust you and the fortitude to be on the lookout for resurrection everywhere? We ask this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.